Could we hear the word of God, please? <clears throat> As it is in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, the Christ of God. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life (coughs) will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I tell you the truth. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. And we thank God for his precious word which is the truth. The second reading is um, taken from Luke, chapter 9, uh, starting at verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him, people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Here ends the reading.
Well, good evening, friends. Um, well, it's been about a year since we've been here. About a year, almost. Two more days and it'll be a year. I still remember we started on a public holiday, the 1st of January. That's how Chris, uh, how Chris works us, <laughs> works me. Uh, but I, we want to say, firstly, before we look at this passage, thank you for uh, caring for us, for supporting us in ministry. It, it really makes ministry a joy when uh, you guys are on board with us in what we want to do for the sake of the kingdom of God. So thank you. Thank you for all your support and prayers and care for us. Uh, well, we're going to be looking at this passage, but let's turn to God in prayer and ask him for his help. Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are. We thank you that you are God who did not remain silent, but you have spoken to us clearly through your word and by your Son. And we pray that tonight, I mean this morning, that we might heed the words of Jesus. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's two more days before 2013. 2013, two more days. Well, it's usually about this time of year when people make New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions. So have you guys made yours yet? Anyone make them? Not really? Well, apparently people do. That's what people do. Now, what are the common New Year's resolutions? Well, here are some. Go to the gym and get fit. Somehow, paying money to someone will make me fit. How good is that? That's a good deal, isn't it? Another one? Um, I'm not sure if you heard of this. It's a program. It's called Couch to 5Ks. So you're a couch potato. But by the end of this program, you can run five kilometres without stopping. Now, I, for one, I can't really run for peanuts, but Yvonne, she started this program about three months ago, and now she can run five k's without stopping, and so she can outrun me, this, this wife of mine. Or what about this? Get out of debt. That's maybe your resolution for next year. Get out of debt. Solve the Rubik's Cube. Now, my fastest speed in solving that was about 52 seconds, I think it was. Or it might be this, find a new job. Find a new job. Or maybe your resolution is just to spend more time with the family. Now all these new year resolutions, they all sound pretty good, don't they? Sound pretty good. Now are these the ones that you would make? Or are these the ones that you have made? These are the common ones that people would generally make. But now I want us to think about us as Christians. What are the resolutions that we Christians should be making? What are the resolutions that God would have us make? Perhaps read the Bible more in 2013. In 2013, perhaps I'll pray more to God. Perhaps in 2013, I'll serve God harder and more. Perhaps in 2013, I'll be more generous and give more. Maybe they're the Christian form of resolutions that we'll make. And they're pretty good resolutions, aren't they? Those ones there. But I suspect that if we make those resolutions, if we make those just for the sake of it, if we make those because we felt guilty on how we, how, how we did those things this year, I suspect that like many resolutions, we'll just set ourselves up for failure. Now, there was a study done in 20, uh, 2007. 88% of those who make New Year's resolutions fail. And so if we make these type of resolutions, I suspect that we'll fail. So we won't read the Bible more next year. We won't pray more. We won't serve more. 
we won't be more generous. And I suspect it comes down to one thing. One thing. In fact, forgetting one thing. And the one thing is, is this. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Forgetting that and making these resolutions will not work. And this is the one thing that Jesus addresses in our passage today. And so that's what we'll turn to now. So today we'll be considering this. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? So let's have a look at this passage. Now it will be great if you have your Bibles open to Luke 9. And I'll pretty much work through part of that passage. So what's going on? Well, just this past week we've celebrated Christmas. But since that first Christmas, Jesus was on a mission. His mission did not stop with Christmas. The mission of Jesus did not stop in the stable. That was not it. That mission led him towards Jerusalem, you see. And that's what we're seeing in our passage. That mission led him towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. And that was the way back to heaven. You see, there wouldn't be a Christmas at all without first the intention of Easter. And so that's what we see here. So if you have a look at verse 51 with me. 51, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. See, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem because Jesus knew that that was the way back to heaven via the cross. And as he sets his face towards Jerusalem, we encounter these three guys. Three guys, three would-be disciples. Now, these three guys were perhaps the the three who witnessed and heard the wonderful teachings of Jesus, that Jesus was one who taught with authority, unlike the teachers of the law, unlike the Pharisees. These three guys perhaps witnessed the wonderful miracles of Jesus. They saw Jesus heal the demon-possessed man. They saw Jesus raise the girl back to life again. These three guys were perhaps there when Jesus fed the 5,000. And so these three guys, as Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem, these three guys recognise that Jesus is important, that this Jesus is important. And so they expressed their keenness in following Jesus. Perhaps they wanted to hear more of the teachings of Jesus. Perhaps they wanted to see more of his wonderful miracles. Perhaps they wanted another free feed. But you see, these three guys, though they expressed their keenness in following Jesus, they didn't expect this. They wouldn't have imagined this. They wouldn't have expected what it meant to really follow Jesus, what it costs to truly follow Jesus. And so we meet these three would-be disciples. The first guy, he was very eager. But his promise to Jesus was really too much too soon. The second guy, he was interested, but he still thought he had bigger fish to fry. And the third guy, well, he was keen, but it was really too little too late. And so let's look through the responses of these three guys. The first guy, well, the first guy, he was eager. Look at this, uh, verse 57. He was eager. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go, he said to Jesus. But his promise was really too much too soon. You see, he didn't recognise what it meant to follow Jesus. 
He didn't really understand what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. Because how did Jesus respond to him? 58, Jesus says, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? Well, foxes, they have holes, they have dens to sleep in. The birds of the air, as insignificant as they are, they have these nests to return home to. But Jesus, the Son of Man, the one who will be given power and authority over the whole universe, where every tribe and nation will be bowing down their knees to Jesus, this Son of Man, when he came to earth, when he set his face towards Jerusalem, there was no place for him to lay his head. No home for this Son of Man. And so that's the cost of discipleship. That's the cost of following Jesus. There's no creature comfort, no security, no permanent home to take root in. Now when we hear this as Australians, it should actually make us feel quite uncomfortable. And it does. I mean, it actually sounds quite un-Australian, isn't it? I mean, what's the Australian dream? That I will own my own home. That's my castle. That's my domain, my patch, my abode. That's Australian. But this is the cost of discipleship. And I, I feel that there are many who do understand this, particularly the missionaries. They live this. They recognise that they are really only temporary residents here on earth, willing to sacrifice the comfort of Australia, the security of being in Australia, the lifestyle, their homes, and always seeing themselves as temporary residents. Temporary residents. And so it was with the Son of Man, our Creator. Just imagine that, the one who created us. No place to lay his head. Our Maker, when he was on earth, no place to lay his head. Foxes and birds, they have homes to welcome them back each night. But the Son of Man, he will soon be welcomed by who? By a hostile mob who will shout out, crucify him. Crucify him. And so this first man, he really promised too much too soon. I will follow you wherever you go. But he didn't really understand what that meant. He didn't really understand the cost of discipleship. And really, anyone who does become a Christian should have this made clear to them. Yes, anyone who does become a Christian are saved by grace alone, through their faith in Christ alone. It's a free gift. Salvation is a free gift. But it should be made clear the cost of discipleship. What it means now for you to be a Christian, there is a cost. And that needs to be made clear when the gospel is shared as well. It's because this is not shared. That's why many Christians do fall away when life gets tough. But you see, with Jesus, if you want to follow him, there is no fine print. It's made clear. Early in this chapter we read, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So this first man promised too much too soon didn't understand the cost of discipleship. Now what about the second man? Well, Jesus said to him, follow me. But this man, well, he thought he had bigger fish to fry. He had more important things. Jesus, I want to follow you, but, but I've got other priorities. 
I've got other important things to be concerned with first. And so he says to Jesus, 59, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now what's so bad about the response, that response? What's wrong with that response? I mean, it seems right, doesn't it? Seems right. Doesn't seem anything wrong with that at all. I mean, if anything, the one, the, the one most important responsibility of a child, of an adult child, is to give their parents, their father and mother, a proper burial, a proper funeral. I mean, in Jewish custom, to leave a father unburied is scandalous. And in Jewish custom, the duty of burial takes precedence over all other Jewish responsibilities. It's more important than studying the law. It's more important than temple services. It's even more important than sacrificing the Passover lamb. If you have to bury your father, you do that above sacrificing the lamb. It's even more important than circumcision. Circumcision is done on the eighth day. If you have to bury your father, you have to, yep, that has to wait. And so this is extremely important. The most important responsibility of an adult child to honour their parents with a proper burial. But what did Jesus say? Did Jesus say, yes, of course, go off, bury your father. But look at what Jesus says, verse 60. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. If anything, reading that, seems harsh of Jesus, doesn't it? Seems extremely harsh. How could Jesus say such a thing? But he comes to the man's of discipleship. You see, Jesus demands this man's total allegiance, total commitment, 100%. His commitment to Jesus, to proclaiming the gospel, must be above his commitment to his parents, must be above his commitment to his responsibility as a son. So discipleship here not only costs, it not only costs us our comfort, our security, maybe even our lives, but discipleship here demands our full self, our full allegiance. This man thought he had bigger fish to fry. He thought that was a greater responsibility. But Jesus says, this is the greater fish. Go, proclaim the kingdom of God. It's also worth noting here in this story that there's in fact no suggestion that this man's father was already dead, that he just died. Because if his father just died... He wouldn't be around there. He would be preparing the funeral already. He wouldn't be wanting to follow Jesus. So his response is actually an excuse to put off following Jesus. He wanted to go back home, wait around until his father dies, and then he'll follow Jesus. So really it was an excuse. But Jesus, he says, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And so when we read a response like that, we can understand what Jesus was getting at in, later in, in Luke chapter 12. When Jesus goes on to say this, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, but division. From now on there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. You see, Jesus brings division. And this division is because once you become a follower, once you become a disciple of Jesus, your primary allegiance is to Jesus. It's no longer to your family. 
It's no longer to your parents, and that causes division. We probably don't see it that often in our context, in our culture. But in an Islamic culture, you see it all the time. When one of the child becomes a Christian, they're often disowned by the family. It creates division. They're even often abused by the family. And so this man here, he thought he had a bigger fish to fry, to go and bury his father. But Jesus says, no, his allegiance must be to Jesus. Now the last man, well, his promise was really too little too late. Verse 61, still another said, I I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now his response was a bit like the second man. Seems quite legitimate. Come on, Jesus, I will follow you. I will follow you. But but just let me go home. I'll say goodbye and then I'll come back and I'll follow you. Sounds quite reasonable, doesn't it? Sounds very reasonable. But what did Jesus think of it? Verse 62. No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus wasn't impressed. Jesus wasn't impressed with this guy. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I do know this. When you go and plough a field, you need to concentrate. You need to concentrate so that you don't go off course. You need to look straight and go straight. If you turn around, you'll go off course. And so when you do go off course, you might miss an area of the field or you might go over again the same area of the field and so you're wasting time and seeds. And it only takes a little distraction to go off course. Five degrees off course doesn't seem much, but after a kilometre, that's about 87 metres off course. That's my trigonometry. I'm not sure if that's right. Some of you 11s can tell me. And so a little off course at the beginning is way off course at the end. And that's why with many modern farms, their tractors, they actually have GPS to keep them on course. And the more advanced farms, they actually have tractors that drive themselves based on the GPS information. That's, that's a bit of information for you. But this guy... This guy, Jesus says, if anyone looks back, he is not fit for service in the kingdom of God. And so this work that Jesus calls us to is urgent. No time to say goodbye. No time to even look around when we're set on that target. And so discipleship, discipleship is costly. It's costly. Discipleship is demanding, and discipleship is urgent. And so my question to all of us today, as we consider the end of this year and the new year, what will I choose? What will I choose? What will you choose? How will 2013 look for you? Are you would-be disciples? Are we like the first man? We say to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But only if it's not too costly, Jesus. If it doesn't cost me any more time, I will follow you. If it doesn't cost me any more time, I mean, Bible study groups, going to those, leading those, teaching at CRE, that will cost me too much more time, Jesus. That cost me too much. Sorry, Jesus. Sorry, Lord. And I say, I will follow you wherever you go. If 
It doesn't cost me any more effort. Serving in church, in music, joining Bible study groups, teaching Sunday school, that's just too much effort, Lord. Too much effort. Sorry, Jesus. Or how about showing hospitality? Showing hospitality and care and love to each other. Inviting each other over for meals, for lunches and dinners. Inviting newcomers. Newcomers over for a meal. Showing hospitality, Christian love. Jesus, that's too much effort. Sorry, Jesus. Sorry, Lord. I wonder when's the last time you've invited someone new to your home? I will follow you wherever you go. I will follow you wherever you go, if it doesn't cost me too much money. Look, God, price of living, cost of living here in Melbourne is just too expensive. I mean, after I've paid for my mortgage, after I've paid for my kids' school fees, after my bills, after my holidays, after my investments, I'll see what's left. I'll see what's left, and I'll give you a bit of that. I'll keep the rest of my savings. I don't want to give too much, otherwise it will cost me too much. Sorry, Jesus. Sorry, Lord. And God only gave us his son. And what did Jesus say to that? Foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the son of man has no place to lay his head. You see, here in Australia, we Christians are very, very comfortable. We have it so good. It doesn't seem to cost us anything at all to be a disciple of Jesus here. It doesn't seem to cost us much at all. But you see, true discipleship costs. And it must cost. Or are we like the second man? Jesus says to us, follow me. But this man says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Lord, First, let me go and pay off all my mortgage. Lord, first let me go and and set up my career. Lord, first let me go till my kids finish school. Lord, first let me go and enjoy that overseas holiday. Lord, after I've done all those things, then I will follow you. And what did Jesus say? Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That is the bigger fish. That is the bigger fish to fry. And there really is no more important duty of a Christian for a disciple than to proclaim the gospel. You see, we've been entrusted with this life-saving message. It's up to us to proclaim it. And it's only when we proclaim it that the dead are raised up to life. That's our responsibility. And so discipleship is demanding. It's demanding, demands our full allegiance, our full commitment, our life. Or are we like the third man, the last man? I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. I will follow you, Lord, but first let me get my relationships sorted. I will follow you, Lord, but first let me get my finances sorted. I'll follow you, Lord, but... Hang on, Lord, just just wait a bit. Take it easy on me. I will follow you eventually, but just not now, okay? And what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say? No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. 
I mean, if this is our attitude to our discipleship, if this is our attitude in how we follow Jesus, if we don't give Jesus our full attention, our full allegiance, then Jesus says, we're not fit for service in the kingdom of God. We're in fact useless to God. Useless to God. We might be here every single week. Don't miss a Sunday. But if this is our attitude, then we're useless to God. And so there is real urgency in our discipleship, in true discipleship. And so in 2013, are we would-be disciples as we face this new year? Or are we true disciples? True disciples who follow our Lord, our Saviour, our Master, our King. Or have we forgotten what it actually means to be a disciple? Have we forgotten what it means to be a follower of Jesus? I mean, do we think that being a Christian means just taking the joyride, going along the ride, all be wonderful, without any cost to me, without any demands on me? Is that how we think of discipleship? Where we can just continue in our own selfish ways, in our own godless ways. So what resolutions could we make for 2013? Well, if we want to get fit, then get fit. Go exercise. You want to spend more time with family? Well, spend more time with the family. But there is this one resolution that we must make. A resolution that we must make if we haven't already. A resolution that we should have made when we first believed. And that is this. I will always follow Jesus, even though it will cost me. I will follow Jesus, even though the demands are high. I will follow Jesus because the work is urgent. And if this is our attitude towards our discipleship, if this is what we remember as we think about our discipleship, then it will make sense. Of course, we'll read the Bible more because we are true disciples. Of course, we will pray more because we are true disciples. Of course, we'll seek to serve God where we can and how we can because we are true disciples. Of course, I'll be more generous because I am a true disciple. Of course, I will show hospitality because I'm a true disciple. Now, Jonathan Edwards, some of you may remember him. Great theologian and preacher from the 18th century. He put his resolution this way, his resolution for life. Resolution one, I will live for God. And resolution two, if no one else does, I still will. That's a good one, isn't it? And so let me end with this. How much does your discipleship cost you? How much does your discipleship, following Jesus, demand of you? And how urgent are you in following Jesus? How will you resolve to live your life? Well, it's my prayer that we'll all be true disciples as we start this new year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that first Christmas when you sent Jesus into this world. He came with a mission, a rescue mission, where he set his face towards Jerusalem, towards the cross, to die for our sake. Help us all to be true disciples, 
not would-be disciples, but true disciples, who will follow Jesus even though it costs us, who will follow Jesus even though the demands are high, and who, are, who will follow Jesus because this work is urgent. And we pray that as we start this new year, that this is what we'll remember. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.